This is Dan Fagella. You're listening to AI in Industry. And this week, we're continuing our month-long focus on AI use cases in retail and e-commerce. There's a lot of transferable action and use cases in the retail space. E-commerce in particular is very fast to adopt AI. And a lot of what you hear here, particularly in terms of how AI is affecting the customer experience, is going to make its way into other industries as well, whatever industry you're in. So I hope this will serve as an inspiration and a useful series. Our second guest in this series is Mahmoud Aram, who's the CTO and founder of BlueCore. BlueCore is based in New York. They're about a seven-year-old company. They've got closing the gap on 300 employees, so good for them, raising money, doing things. And Mahmoud's focus is a little bit more on the messaging and advertising side of retail. So if you're interested in how retail is going to evolve in terms of how we get the right message in front of the right person at the right time, you'll gain an interesting perspective in this episode that I hope you'll be able to apply to your own business. So without further ado, we're going to hop right in. This is Mahmoud with BlueCore here on AI and Industry. So, Mahmoud, uh, I wanted to kind of kick us off here with where you see AI getting the most traction and adoption in e-commerce today. Where do you see the money being spent and the difference being made if we just kind of freeze time right now as to where AI is in e-commerce? Hi, Dan. Um, so, yeah, at Bluecore, we believe in verticalized AI. So, I think that even e-commerce on its own is too big for any sort of generalized AI to be applicable across all of the different facets of e-commerce. Hmm. So we believe in even sort of hyper-verticalization within retail and within e-commerce. So our focus at Bluecore has been on sort of marketing automation and specifically starting with email and starting with highly personalized communication between the brands and their customers. And we're building verticalized AI there. Got it. Maybe you can speak from that perspective, particularly then if you want to talk specifically to that vertical, when you look at that space and you ask yourself, geez, where are the biggest investments sort of going in terms of what functions, what capabilities AI is enabling? There's some that are probably getting more funding, some less. Where do you kind of see those trends today? Yeah, so I think overall, there is a lot of sort of like change and there's a lot of positive change within retail. Um, If you actually think about the last sort of decade or specifically in the last five years, there has been the rise of direct-to-consumer brands. So I live in New York City, and if you do, there are subway ads for all sorts of direct-to-consumer brands selling things from linens to towels to sort of like subscription electric toothbrushes. So there are lots of companies that are going direct-to-consumer, and in doing so, they need a lot of technology because they're not going to go and build their own e-commerce site. They're not going to go and build their own sort of like marketing automation and all of that. And um, you can't really compete sort of on optimizing for operational excellence alone. I think that there are, we are sort of at the point where there are sort of like diminishing returns there. So the biggest sort of differentiator for a lot of these direct-to-consumer brands is in how they do marketing and how they do marketing in a personalized way that connects with their customers. Especially that, you know, the cost of acquiring customers on social media and via ads just keeps going up. So there has been a lot of focus on retention. And sort of like this is where we see a lot of differentiation. So typically the way the way sort of like marketing worked in retail and and even for direct-to-consumer brands is that you send sort of like a retention email message to everyone that subscribed to your site or everyone that ever purchased from you. And you're sending them sort of like the same message to everyone. 
after a while, people started collecting sort of a CRM file and then they started doing some sort of like segmentation on their customers, either based on age or gender or, you know, very rudimentary sort of like affinity scoring towards, you know, the different facets or the different categories of your merchandise. Um, and we see sort of like the biggest leverage now in being able to leverage the data that you are, your first party data that you're collecting on your customers on how they interact with the site, how they interact with the merchandise, what they buy and what they browse sort of on your site in order to be able to cater to them in a highly personalized way that sort of complements this direct-to-consumer brand that is very focused on a positive sort of consumer experience. We see a lot of investment sort of like in the how do I take my first-party data and turn that into a customer service and turn that into a differentiated marketing strategy. Yeah, so let's talk about maybe a couple examples of that just to make that a little bit more salient. And we can use some examples of those direct-to-consumer brands, those direct response kind of uh, marketers there. What are maybe some you know salient examples? You don't have to name a brand if you don't want to, but just to paint a picture for us. Right. Uh, so we have 400 customers or, or so, and I would say about half of them are sort of like direct-to-consumer brands. So you're asking about what are some ways that they are differentiating and using AI? Is that what you're asking about? Yeah, yeah. So essentially, you had mentioned they're really looking to use the kind of data they have, their first-party data or what have you, to create that differentiation. That's, that's sort yeah. of what, what you're seeing in the market. What's a brand, like let's say a furniture company or let's say a mattress company or let's say yeah. a jewelry company, that's doing that yeah. and how? Yeah. Okay. So actually, I would uh, I think perhaps a better example is a company that sells sort of like online, uh, sort of like basics, right? So underwear, like t-shirts and things like that. Got it. It turns out that people have very different sort of like replenishment cycles for those things, right? And um, it used to be that, you know, marketing teams would sort of like come up with a heuristics, which is, well, people change socks every, say, like three months. So you would run like a thing that, you know, you'd run some sort of like um, some sort of like periodic job that looks at purchasers from three months ago, and you would send them a reminder. Right. Um, but it turns out that, you know, this is less optimal because people have very different sort of like replenishment cycles. And some of these brands were able to use sort of like a predictive algorithm that figures out the replenishment cycles on a per category and a per consumer level, and then sort of like optimize for the per customer sort of like replenishment cycle and be able to sort of communicate with them right when they are due for another purchase. So they're, they're able to sort of like do that in order to, you know, have really good outcomes. But also, you know, some customers were able to use this in order to test out whether a, a sort of like a subscribe capability where you subscribe and sort of like purchase every three months. I know Amazon has a capability like yeah, that. Yeah. Something like that is worth building, right? Uh, just by sort of like doing the implicit version of it first. Got it. So, and, and now this kind of feels like it ties a little bit into retention there. Obviously, if someone signed up to get, you know, X number of things every quarter or what have you to really be able to calibrate what their needs are so they don't have too much or too little might be a great way to keep them paying for the service, uh, the basics uh, in this example that you were talking about. You mentioned that retention as kind of one sort of important area of focus because social media acquisition costs are only going up and up. I thought that was a really important trend and I'm glad that you brought that up. Are there any other such defining trends that are really helping to mold where people are trying to apply AI, where people are trying to improve their marketing? You know, you, you talked about these increasing costs and this retention emphasis. Are there any other big ones that are kind of part of the dynamic of e-commerce today? Yeah, so I think um, so. I think another one of them is sort of like optimizing for like margin as well, right? So actually, within e-commerce companies, there is a classic tension between merchandising teams and marketing teams, right? 
Marketing teams traditionally have a calendar, but the merchandising teams, sometimes they need to move inventory. They need to sort of like re-merchandise things and like move them around from like season to season. And traditionally, the way retail has done that is by sort of like sending you an email with like a 40% discount, right? And it turns out that you can do a little bit better, right? You can do a little bit better by thinking about which customers actually are price sensitive and which ones aren't. Um, and then you can also figure out how to actually replenish your own sort of like inventory, and then how, you know, and then how to sort of like, like how to drive sort of your marketing calendar in order to optimize for like that margin, right? So in a way, you know, it's part personalization, but also part of it is optimization for the retailers themselves in terms of moving inventory. Huh. So a, a greater consciousness to margin per product, maybe even per season, that degree of granularity on our own products, not just what do people want to buy, but how do we need to consider what we're taking home from each of these individual purchases that factoring that into marketing is kind of, to you, feels like a big, bigger and bigger emphasis? Yeah, exactly. Turn, you know, basically, it's, it's sort of like an optimization problem where you have two quantities that you're optimizing for. Um, what is a great customer experience that is personalized and what is also something that preserves margin so that you don't have to you know, keep pushing discounts? Yes. Okay. Understood. Yeah. And I think that uh, it's, it's harder and harder to push discounts when... Uh, when your acquisition costs are going up and up. And maybe now that we're talking a bit about trends here, we can sort of wrap up on where you see AI sort of making its way you know, into this e-commerce world. Maybe we could use the same basics company if we want to hold the same sort of example yeah. firm. We talk about what's not possible with personalization today that you think maybe will uh, five years out. Things, things that AI really can't help us with at present if we freeze technology in, in today's day and age, but that you think are kind of paradigms we're going to be moving into. What are those big shifts that, that you think are going to sort of define uh, commerce? Yeah. So I think that there is, there's a lot of very creative aspects of sort of like marketing strategy and mer merchandising strategies that sort of like an AI algorithm can't really do as good a job as like a human can, right? There is still is a magic to sort of hand merchandising that merchandising teams do that I think will be a while before sort of like AI, AI can actually like match, you know, can match the humans there. You know, there are a bunch of different companies that, you know, we see sort of coexisting with us on the stacks of our customers um, that are using AI in very interesting ways, right? So one of the companies that we're aware of is uh, is like TrueFit, and they do a very interesting thing where, where they understand sort of like sizing across brands, and essentially that helps cut consumers be able to like figure out which brand would fit sort of like would be a great fit for them in terms of sizing compared to other brands that they've purchased before. So that is a very interesting problem because it provides a great customer experience. And at the same time, it sort of like reduces returns for retailers, which, you know, and returns is sort of like an, an, an expensive problem. So that's an interesting sort of like solve for, you know, for sizing. And there are sort of like a few others. There are other companies that sort of use AI to optimize for like returns on the back end and whether to ask customers to actually send the merchandise back or just keep it and whether to offer them sort of like a bigger store credit versus an actual return in kind to the same sort of like purchase device. Yeah. And those are interesting things that we're seeing where sort of like hyper verticalized AI is solving sort of a, a specific business problem within retail. So, so you think in the future there will be more of these sort of niche examples pop up. If you're talking about returns, it sounds like maybe 
uh, let me know if I'm reading you incorrectly, but there's kind of an, an ecosystem of returns-oriented optimization that is sort of starting to bubble up in AI that you think maybe will mature a little bit later on, where we'll really be able to know how to send people the version of the product that's least likely to return, what kind of messaging needs to go along with it, and then and then also you're talking about how to handle it. So are we yeah. as a company going to be financially better off by just giving this person a credit or you know, should we really fight hard about this refund policy or make an exception for someone who's being irate? What is the call that we make? It sounds like maybe these are things that you think will be further optimized. Yeah, I, well, I think that actually, uh, exactly, right? But, you know, you have to be careful because, you know, there are always like questions about like fairness and all of, and, and all of that, right? So I think the AI is, is sort of like solving, you know, more mechanical problems that are a little bit, you know, tedious for humans to do. But I think in general, you know, a lot of solving these sort of, you know, you call them niche problems. And it used to be that, you know, you couldn't have a good business model solving a very niche problem. But I think now you can actually have a really, really good solution that if you scale it to sort of a good portion of retail, and there's a lot of investment in retail, um, it would actually be almost like an IPO-worthy company, right? So there is a lot of, so, so now we are at a stage where this verticalized AI makes a lot of sense. It used to be that, you know, that a lot of the big companies started, you know, they built e-commerce platforms or they built sort of like generic marketing automation platforms where retail was just one of many industries that they served. Yeah. And that was seen as sort of like the only sort of economically feasible way to sort of like, you know, to scale. But now we're seeing that it's possible to sort of hyper verticalize and still and still see like immense growth. Yeah, well, I think and we kind of saw that you know, if we look four years back in the, the who was raising the most venture money in the AI space, you know, you had like your sentient technology and a lot of these firms that sort of you go to their homepage and there's, you know, nine different sectors on the homepage. Um, and now you are seeing, you know, $50 million funds raised or, you know, companies like Flexport, they're just in logistics that'll raise, you know, a billion bucks uh, or something like that. And so I, I think there's certainly credence to what you're saying. So it sounds like in your perspective as well, Individual niche problems, particularly, and we're talking about e-commerce now, so maybe we can talk about e-commerce. Particular niche problems will be, you know, you, you use the term IP-worthy firms, that we're going to see companies that really can knuckle down to cracking one particular problem because there's enough money there to make it worthwhile, and that we can expect to see more of those, that kind of laser focus from different vendor solutions. Absolutely, especially if sort of computing ROI uh, and like business value is like sort of like straightforward, right? Like if you are able to do that, you can show a lot of, then your customers can see a lot of perceptible value and like measurable value from your offer. Yeah. Can you crack? Well, this is a useful question for the folks who are tuned in. Maybe to wrap up, can you crack a narrow and particular problem that you can measure the return on that enough people are struggling with that you could grow a big business? And I think uh, what, you're, what we're getting from you here is that the answer is more and more yes as AI expands and retail and e-commerce expands as well. So I know that's all that we have for time here today, Mahmoud, but I, I appreciate you joining us here on AI and Industry. All right. Thank you, Dan. Very nice to meet you. So that's all for this episode of AI and Industry. If you've enjoyed this series, be sure to download our AI and Retail Executive Cheat Sheet, where we've sort of laid out the basic use cases of AI and retail and e-commerce, as well as the key terminology you need to know. So if you want all of that in one place, very short, brief, succinct, but useful PDF, you can enter your information, download that at emerj.com slash ret1. That's R-E-T is in retail, E-M-E-R-J dot com slash R-E-T-1. And you can download that guide 
directly on emerge.com. So hopefully that's useful for those of you who want to get a further grasp of the use case landscape in retail. Otherwise, I'll ask you to stay tuned for next week and we'll keep it with the same theme here in the coming Tuesday.